breaking through really and, and, and showing that a nurse can do this as well as a doctor and I'm absolutely certain they can. Um, this is a, you know, this is a, something that we need to, to challenge. ISN would like to acknowledge Trevere for their support of this special WCN 21 series of the ISN Global Kidney Care Podcast. This is uh, Dr. Arvind Kanjivaram, better known as Arvind Kanchi on Twitter. I am a nephrologist based in Bangalore and also the chair of the ISN Education Social Media team. I am the guest host of this Global Kidney Care podcast, the 10th in this series, brought to you by the International Society of Nephrology. And this is the special WCN series of podcasts where we interview speakers of the World Congress of Nephrology. I must tell you that the World Congress of Nephrology has kicked off with the Raising the Curtain sessions and they are free to view. I will ask all of you who are listening to this podcast or to please go to theisn.org and look for the website. Details are available. You can click in, register and view it free of cost. I have with me the regular host of the Global Kidney Care Podcast, Dr. Roberto Picoff-Filio. He is a nephrologist based in Ann Arbor in Michigan in the U.S. And he is also the co-chair of the ISN Education Working Group. He will become the chair of this group soon after the conference. Over to Roberta. That's right, Arvin. Big, big responsibility ahead of me to, uh, you know, lead the activities of the educational working groups, uh, especially in these exciting times of, you know, so much going on in terms of online education and activities. It is, it is my pleasure today to start um, uh, introducing our guests. Uh, this this uh, episode of the Global, Global Kidney Care podcast will be focused on peritoneal dialysis. And we have uh, three guests today. Um, first of all, I wanted to welcome um, Elaine Bowles. She's a, a registered nurse in the UK an experienced uh, nurse in the P PD uh, in PD activities, including some uh, some very uh, interesting activities that I think our listeners will be interested about, which are focused on uh, some procedures that she's been doing in in the UK and uh, attracting a lot of attention of people uh, across the globe and what nurses can do in a PD unit. Is that right, Elaine? Is that what you're going to be talking about? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Roberta. Yes, yes. Um, I would love to share some of my experience um, in PD access um, um, insertions, repositions, removals under local anesthetic percutaneously. Yeah, maybe you can could start by just describing how your experience has been, uh, how many procedures you've done and how, how do you think the nurses... Uh, could uh, play a role in PD access? So, um, firstly, to say I fell into this um, uh, very irregularly in that um, I was concerned about PD access in our unit because our um, our specialist registrar was leaving um, and he had done most of our PD um, insertions percutaneously. Um, and um, I basically went to my consultant and I said, I'm really worried. How are we going to manage our PD access moving forward? Um, and he said, well, I think you'd be the best person to take over. Um, honestly, I thought he was a bit crazy at the time, but um, I did. I learned how to do it. I had an excellent mentor. I went to PD Access Academy um, and I spent nine months trying to get my trust to sign off on a nurse doing, obviously, some abdominal surgery. 
Um, and finally, they did. Um, and since then, I have um, inserted, um, I think, PD catheter insertions over 600. I've also done um, many hundred removals and also repositions. Um, and it is probably how we do 90% of our procedures at King's College Hospital um, uh, on, on Dorelli, um and our patients um, seem to um, have very good feedback about that and so um, they always tell me that they quite like coming in to have procedures with me especially if they've had to have one more than one um, and if they come in and have the removal um, they always say well you know it's quite nice we have a nice chat you play some music and I get my procedure done um, whilst that happens. So um, I think preparation is everything. And I think if you've got good preparation, good guidelines, um, and you go through that WHO checklist, then things will um, go well um, for PD access insertion. Well, I think thinking about witnesses, uh, maybe it's a, a nice way of bringing our second guest into the discussion because uh, Ana Figueiredo, a, a registered nurse from, uh, uh, from Brazil, has been um, in touch with you for a while and actually visited the UK. How was it, Anna? Well, thank you very much, Pequa. Uh, was great, actually. I first heard about uh, Elaine's uh, experience during the ISPD Congress in Madrid, and I was like, I, I need to do it. I need to learn it. So I bothered her until she said, okay, you can come. I will teach you. So I spent two weeks. was marvelous just to try to to learn how to insert, doing all the procedure, assessing, seeing how it's done. It's amazing uh, getting the patients talking to you during the procedure. But unfortunately, coming back to Brazil and get the nursing council to authorize nurses doing it has been such a struggle that so far being almost 2015, six years, I still haven't got the authorities to allow nurses to do this special role. So I'm involved with that, but always have a, a doctor colleague with me during the procedure. But it's just amazing, the pioneer work of Elaine. I'd just like to ask, uh, in most of the countries that, uh, you know, we live in in, in in Asia, it's usually the nephrologist or the surgeon who does it. There are comparisons of uh, studies of uh, nephrologists versus surgeons, and the nephrologists always boast that they do better than the surgeons as far as, as, far as uh, uh, PD-CAT insertions go, and they've brought out... Uh, papers saying that we are better than the surgeons. How do you look at your technique when nurses do it? How, how do you look at this? Is there a comparison? Is there literature available for this? So I'm not sure that there's literature available. Um, certainly each year when we're doing our access audit, as well as auditing mm -hmm. all of the access, that is both um, percutaneous insertions under local anesthetic and all GA insertions, whether advanced laparoscopic or open, um, I always look at all of our nursing um, procedures because I have actually trained as well as Anna. I've trained two other nurses to do this procedure and one of those nurses works with me. I predominantly do most um, PD access procedures and certainly the consultant that I work with, the nephrologist that I work with, would always say that they would refer the more difficult procedures to me. Um, and actually, I've gotten to the point now that when I do do procedures, if I refer to the surgeon, the surgeon will all I will sometimes refer the patients back to me and say, Elaine, you can do this procedure. There's no reason why not. Um, and I guess it is more about 
how often you do this, how regularly you do it, what you learn along the way, um, knowing the red flags. And I think the red flags become very apparent when you do um, procedures often enough um, and making sure that you take all precautions. But the rapport with the patient, because the patient is awake um, and small things like speaking to the patient beforehand, explaining exactly what things are going to feel like, exactly how long the local anaesthetic is going to sting before you actually um, go numb. Um, and that at any point that you can stop the procedure, those are the things that are really important. Um, when it comes to outcomes, my outcomes are very good. Um, I think um, my outcomes have, have been published, um, but we probably should look back at that again. I have never compared my outcomes to the nephrologists I work with. Um, maybe I'll go back and have that conversation and see what they would think think about um, having a comparison of a nephrologist versus nurse. So maybe with that, we can introduce our third, third guest of the, uh, the episode, Dr. Simon Davis, also from the UK. He's a nephrologist and has led the activities of the dialysis uh, committee over the last few years. And I know that this discussion about, you know, who, who should do it and how it should be done, in, especially in low-resource settings, is something that has been part of the discussions of the committee. Uh, Simon, welcome. And what's your point of view of this? So my, my view, um, and thanks, thanks for the welcome, uh, is actually that this is about, you know, it's not about who you are, but the competences you have. Um, and, and, you know, particularly, you know, the challenges of growing PD across the world, where it's underused in many parts, um, uh, there are there are going to be situations where people have to multitask. You know, the, the, we're going to have to have the situation whereby um, maybe in a heap dialysis unit there may not be a, a nephrologist around a lot of the time. So so local clinicians are going to have to learn how to to do a hemodialysis session. And equally with PD, I think you know the ability to put in tubes, um, troubleshoot problems. Um, should be done by the people who have the competencies. So the, I think the secret here is for us to, to take this further uh, as an, as, as, as an organisation, uh, and that indeed is what we're doing, and actually write those write those those competencies down clearly, so we define what they are, and then um, look at developing uh, educational tools which will enable essentially anyone uh, with with the right sort of background to learn them. Um, and I think, you know, Anna's point about um, the, the trouble she's had with her professional colleagues uh, in nursing in Brazil, um, uh, breaking through really and, and, and showing that a nurse can do this as well as a doctor, and I'm absolutely certain they can, um, this is a, you know, this is a something that we need to to challenge, um, and and uh, uh, it's, it's it's happened successfully in the UK and and uh, and in another number of other areas in the UK we've we've done quite well I think. For example, we have nurse prescribers in the UK um, uh, of, med of different medicines, perhaps a limited palette of medical medical um, uh, treatments that they might be able to prescribe. So I think these are the sorts of, of practices that we need to, to to propagate around around the world. Simon, and actually, this is a question to all three of you. Uh, 
you know, doing an AVF as a vascular access for hemodialysis, we have the opportunity of doing it, you know, much earlier so that the patient, when he comes on to dialysis, uh, he has the he or she has the AVF mature and ready. Though this doesn't happen all the time, in uh, PD, you you have this opportunity of embedding the uh, catheter and bringing it out when you want to use it for PD so that you can, it need not be, PD need not be an urgent start PD. So I'm wondering how much percentages in your studies or in your sort of experience where embedding the catheter actually happened? I'm afraid I don't have experience of embedded catheters. Um, probably, to be fair, because we can put in a PD catheter within a 24-hour period of referral. Um, but I know units that do have that um, experience, and there are many nurses who actually um, then externalize the, um, the um, embedded catheter. I think, like many other things, it's useful to have as many resources for PD access and, and as many ways of getting PD access in in a timely fashion as possible. And I'm sure Simon and Anna would agree. Actually, in Brazil, we don't have the, the custom to do it. There was one place in the South Brazil that used to do, but then the doctor retired and it's like no one else is doing it. But sure, as Elaine said, it's one option to be done, but we don't have experience with embedded catheters. I mean, as Elaine said, there are people in the UK doing it, um, uh, and the outcomes are pretty good, actually. Um, and it definitely is, as, as I think Elaine's already suggested, it's part of a, a of a series of, of tools that we have which will help solve particular problems. Uh, I think it's particularly valuable um, in the situations where where patients are perhaps have difficulty in getting up to the hospital frequently, um, you know, um, perhaps where follow-up has to be done remotely, uh, and you can really see how in, 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 in some low-resource settings, actually, that could be really valuable um, because they, they would perhaps do one trip to the hospital, have it all put done in, and, and then actually just be monitored um, uh, leading up to starting dialysis from a distance, you know, with with even with video monitoring and and, and occasional blood tests, uh, and then you could quite easily put the you know just make it an operational catheter quite quickly. So I think there are, there are particular situations where it's really really particularly valuable. In the UK, um, we just completed something called the UK Cath Study. Um, which we presented for the first time at the recent ISPD Europe conference, um, and my recollection is that, it, that the number of catheters put in that way was quite small, certainly less than ten percent um, in the UK. So I think most people are not doing it, mainly for the reasons that Elaine says that um, uh, with if you've got particularly if you've got medical catheter insertion or nephrologist or nurse-led catheter insertion then you can get a catheter in pretty quickly. Uh, and lots of us do urgent start in PD, which is another thing to remember, that you can actually start using a PD catheter within, within well, within hours, actually, um, uh, providing you, you, you have a, um, you know, low fill volumes using, obviously, made the patient must be recumbent throughout that period of time. But you can almost always do it um, successfully. By the way, um, talking about urgent start, and um, you you've had um, 
you know, you've been in touch with some initiatives in Brazil about urgent start and how this has impacted the, you know, number of patients that end up on, on PD. And, and I think people are doing a good job um, at, at your place um, in terms of describing the outcomes of this, um, you know, model of, of offering PD um, if you have a good structure for urgent start. Can you, can you uh, share with us some of this? Yeah, I think there's there's two places in Brazil that there's top on that uh, start of uh, urgent PDs, Botucatu and Joinville. There is two small cities in Brazil that are doing great work. What we've seen is the increase of the number of patients is starting on PD, on the contrary of other places in Brazil where 90, 90 4% of patients are on hemodialysis. So if you look at this place that have the initiative, we've changed from like 10% on PD to 30, 35% of patients is starting on PD. And I think having these, uh, these two places are uh, nephrologist-led catheter insertion. It's it just very handy to have the patient needing it and you can start it without having to organize operating time and things like this. So it, it has made the change, but unfortunately, still there is few places doing it. The majority is still putting their patients on hemodialysis and all these issues about the economics that are involved. I think the other thing is worth saying about urgent start is that um, urgent start PD is that I think it's a much safer procedure than having a central line put in. Um, and, and many urgent start hemodialysis is, 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 is you know, default is, is a central line, which has both short and long-term consequences for patients on, 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 with, with kidney failure. Um, so I think you could actually make the argument that it's a safer procedure. Um, and I think if you do that, then you should be able to change the culture of your unit, which says on basis of safety, if nothing else, um, then why not have PD insertion as your first option? Um, and only, you know, if it's the reasons why you can't do that, you then go now and have a central line. Um, uh, and, you, you know, you can create a culture within the unit which which agrees with that so that people 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 sort of sign up to it across across the whole department. So I think that's important. I would absolutely agree with that, Simon. And of course, the benefit is often if you have to urgent start a patient for hemodialysis, you may have to start with a femoral line um, and then move on to um, your tunneled line. With PD, you have your your access is your permanent access from, from day one. Um, and I definitely feel that um, through my experience um, throughout my career, we've done a lot of urgent PD from the very start. From as soon as I started putting in catheters, we were putting in catheters for urgent start patients. And patients can be very uremic. Um, and, you know, we our outcomes are very good. We don't see this um, um, level of extra problems with bleeding. We don't see a lot of leaks. It's really how you prepare the patient and how you look after the patient afterwards and making sure that anyone who's looking after the patient knows that they need to be in a supine position and they shouldn't walk around when they're dwelling. Um, and then you don't see leaks and the problems that often um, people suggest you have with, um, with urgent start. And again, it's another way of getting more patients onto therapy, whether they're urgent starts or late preferred patients. And I think well, one of the advantages of that is that when the nurses led 
after insertion is done. We know the patient, we know how the procedure went. So when you start in taking care of the patient hours later, we know what we can do, not only by the prescription, but we understand better the procedure. So it just adds to the whole care of the, for the patients. This is very true. I get a lot of my education done within the procedure itself. Um, and it's the joy of patients being awake while you do the procedure because you can talk through a lot of what can be expected over the next week, two weeks, etc. And of course, the thing with urgent start is it doesn't stop at the caster going in. Um, the, the patients are nervous about what's going to happen within their home. Um, all of those questions that patients don't ask about their sex life, about their home life, about their their um work life, they all can be answered um, within within that conversation. So I often have lots of, um, and I find out a lot about my patients whilst I'm doing the procedure, uh, lots of things that aren't in their medical notes. So that's also really important and useful for, um, for that patient's PD career moving forward. Just a question on uh, the catheters themselves. There's this usual question about uh, the straight tank off versus the coiled or curved. Uh, how, what's your take on that? Um, I have to say we use the curled catheters. I have used the straight catheters. Um, I know that there have been some studies to suggest that there is, um, it is there's slight efficacy, um, um, th that it may be more efficacious to use a straight catheter. However, um, I do find that patients complained of drain pain a lot more with, with straight catheters and, and being aware of the catheter, um, we use we use bent necked um, um, pigtail catheters, Tenkoffs. Um, I think the more important thing is to make sure that the correct size of catheter is put in for the patient. If you put a sixty two centimeter catheter in a patient who needs a fifty seven centimeter catheter it's already migrated because it has gone into the true pelvis and is coming back out of it before you even start the patient on PD. So I'm a great advocate for measuring the patient beforehand and making sure you've got the correct catheter. And of course, let's be honest, the most important part of the whole procedure is the exit site. Getting that right means that you have a catheter for life rather than just for uh, three weeks or three months. Simon, when I'm when I'm um, listening to this, the complexity, the differences in different places and settings, I've been thinking about your the this task you're leading to generate uh, resource material for you know for different countries, different regions of the world to um, increase access to dialysis in general, especially in low, low resource areas. And I know you'll be. You'll be discussing about this. This will be launched in the WCN. Can you can you provide our listeners with a brief description of this initiative? So this this is an initiative in partnership. Well, there's, there's there's more than one initiative actually. So perhaps I should just give put put that context too. There's been some um, um, short term work done with the WHO, um, and that's very much about answering a, a, a challenge that we were given by the WHO to say, you know, if, if people are thinking about setting up dialysis um, in, in their jurisdiction, what would they need to know? Um, and so the first thing we did around that was to create this document which is being launched um, this week, 
um, uh, which is essentially a, a, it's a handbook really of everything you need to possibly know about about setting up a dialysis unit, um, uh, and goes right the way through from from the context to what a dialysis is, thinking about economic models for dialysis delivery, all the way through to really quite quite detailed um, stuff around, for example, how would you, uh, what, what equipment are you going to need to, 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 to run a dialysis unit um, uh, and check books and check, check checklists for, for those sorts of things. That is also, I'm, I'm um, in the context of that, of that, that piece of work, we are also, uh, as you know, have an ISN strategy for, for kidney failure care. Um, and that strategy is also being developed in parallel with this. Um, and the hope there is to actually um, think about um, it from a slightly different perspective as to what, what we mean about standards of care in, in, in low resource, well, in any resource setting, actually. Um, what, we're trying, what we're trying to do is to say, OK, there are minimum resource standards and then there are ones that you can build upon and, and create a higher, higher quality care environment. Um, and we're basically at this stage working out what the best way to, to frame that um, that that series of, if you like, of, of quality initiatives or, or levels of quality and what that looks like. Uh, and then we will then do a further piece of work with the WHO, uh, which I've just started um, with, with some colleagues, um, uh, where we are thinking about the educational um, materials that would, would go alongside that. So there's no doubt that I'll be speaking to colleagues here on this very call um, and asking them to help me develop, you know, a, a, a simple video guide for putting in a PD tube, um, uh, you know, which can be done by, by people of different backgrounds, but, but the sort of level of competency that they would need to do that would be clear. Thank you, Elaine, Anna, and Simon for being with us and sharing your thoughts on uh, uh, peritoneal dialysis. This was the WCN special series of Global Kidney Care Podcasts. I ask listeners to please tune in to this podcast as well as to the speakers' talks when they happen at the World Congress of Nephrology. Kindly visit the website theisn.org and attend these sessions. Thank you to the ISN for asking me to co-host this. Thank you, Roberto. Thanks again to all the speakers who joined us today. Thanks, Arvind. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Arvind. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. ISN would like to acknowledge Trevere for their support of this special WCN 21 series of the ISN Global Kidney Care Podcast.